Colonialism? Kolonialismus? What is that? Was ist das? Aufzeigen, aufklären, Aufbruch. Die Colonial Classroom. Unser Podcast für euch. Unser? Von dem Zusammenschluss da. Dekolonial Aufbruch. So. Uh, welcome to a new episode of the podcast. Today with Bo um, from Australia. And we're here to talk about the Aborigines Australian culture and get some views on it from both. Awesome. Um, so first, could you um, introduce yourself a bit? Yeah. Uh, my name is Bo Spiram. My tribe or tribal affiliations is uh, Gamilaroi, Kuma and Marawari. Um, all three of those tribes are are sort of located northern New South Wales, southern Queensland. Um, so, yeah, in on the borders of New South Wales and Queensland on the east coast of Australia. Um, I was uh, born in Sydney, in western Sydney, and also um, grew up on the south side of Brisbane. So Sydney's in New South Wales and Brisbane is in Queensland. Uh, so, yeah, I was very fortunate enough to grow up in sort of two different uh, areas, very multicultural, low, low socioeconomic uh, areas, um, but with lots of uh, uh, staunch and proud you know, Aboriginal history, whether that's cultural history or sort of resistance history as well. Um, so we would come to our first question. Um, what do you do in your activism? And can you tell us something about your work? Definitely, of course. Uh, so... Um, I'm a part of Warriors of the Aboriginal Resistance, uh, which was formed in 2014. It's a relatively uh, young organisation um, and it was started to give agency and space to, to younger Aboriginal uh, people to get involved in activism. We started with sort of the idea and the mantra of a resist, revive, decolonise. Um, you know, we promote language revival Uh, land defense and language reclamation. Um, we are a, 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 an only uh, Aboriginal group. Uh, you have to be Aboriginal to be a part of the organization. We have chapters um, in Melbourne, in Victoria, and also in Brisbane, um, in Queensland. And then we have individuals in different parts of the country who are uh, members. We organize rallies. Uh, we organize panels and and talks, um, you know, we support families who are grieving through various different um, issues that affect Aboriginal people from, you know, uh, deaths in custody to child removal to, you know, domestic violence to many different issues. Um, you know, um, lots of our members are, are queer, trans and non-binary. I'm the only sort of uh, cis gendered uh, member in in the organization which which i think is awesome because since our inception you know we, we've had members join who um and have a pivotal part in our activism that helped us sort of grow not just sort of as an organization in our communities but also uh politically um as well if uh queer people aren't free or trans people aren't free, then, you know, straight people aren't. And, you know, um, lots of Aboriginal Tosha and all the people in Indigenous communities here in Australia and around the world identify 
as those as well and you know very marginalized and criminalized and you know brutalized uh, one because they're indigenous but then also two because how they identify as well so you know it was only natural that the natural progression that our organization would cater and, and create space uh, for more marginalized um, Aboriginal people within our community as well you know since our organization has started we've had members go back to their own country to their tribal uh, lands and create um, language programs resistance sort of programs different sort of things in their own communities as well as sort of us being very active in you know major cities uh, as well I've fortunate enough been involved in activism since 2012 and had some very been, been very fortunate to have some great mentors to sort of guide me through my activism. That sounds really awesome. So as a second question, um, since you're also, you have also a background and an immediate connection to Aborigine um, culture, what mm -hmm. does colonialization mean to you personally and how did it affect you or still affect you? Definitely, for sure. Um, you know, um, it's affected you know, Aboriginal communities as hard as sort of, you know, any sort of other ethnic or minority sort of group that has, you know, that has sort of, that have come to call Australia home uh, in the last, you know, 250 uh, years since uh, colonization has sort of come to the shores. It has, it has come in many different ways and many different uh, fashions and forms. You know, the first 140 years of colonization in Australia uh, was at the barrel of a gun, um, you know, sort of known as the frontier wars. And then after that there, what we see, um, you know, is the sort of colonization change, you know, and it, and I think it had more of an effect on Aboriginal people. It was changed, you know, with the stroke of a pen. You know, when Australia was federated in 1901, what we saw was the policies, uh, you know, come into effect and come into power. You know, the child removal policy, which, you know, uh, for the first, you know, 60 years, Here in Australia, what we saw was um, well, what is sort of known now as the stolen generation, you know, sadly but, uh, because of that, as a result of sort of the stolen generation, one in three Aboriginal uh, children were removed in the first sort of you know, 80 to sort of uh, 90 years under that policy um, in the whole of Australia. Um, so that, yeah, it's pretty... Uh, crazy numbers, you know, but under that sort of era, what we saw was um, we saw the white Australia policy, which, you know, uh, effectively made it harder for non-European uh, people to come to Australia, you know, uh, who would come for work or come for a better life as well, you know, white people did as well, but it, policy benefited them. You know, what we also saw um, with uh, through this era You know, was other uh, was the the formation of Aboriginal uh, organisations, and we saw and we see the birth of sort of Aboriginal activism um, in in Australia as well. You know, uh, the first sort of political organisations uh, that we see uh, in Australia sort of start in Sydney, and and this sort of era is known as sort of the assimilation era, and that sort of lasted till about the 1960s when sort of the assimilation policies. Uh, sort of, uh, well, they were essentially got rid of uh, these policies, um, you know, due to sort of the effective effectiveness of Aboriginal activism uh, here in Australia as well. 
but you know what I mean? Like colonization has played a massive uh, role uh, on my life as an individual. One, you know, what it did was uh, it stole my language and, and my culture, but, you know, we're thankfully enough that um, our grandparents, you know, held on to our, our language and our culture and, you know, that was passed on down to us. You know, I see many different Aboriginal people my age, younger and even older, you know, uh, that didn't sort of have, that never had that sort of uh, connection or sort of cultural uh, uh, revival as well. You know, what colonisation does is it, um, you know, it, it, it's really, really does its job to sort of, you know, dismantle sort of cultural influences, but then also empowering, you know, community as well. Um, but, you know, on the other hand of sort of colonisation, what we saw was, you know, the resilience and, and the resurgence of sort of culture, but then also uh, resistance and activism uh, here in Australia. And that's what's sort of been effective and, and been one of the sort of main massive driving tools in the survival of Aboriginal people was this activism, was this uh, revival, was this sort of resurgence in our identity, in our culture, but then also in the fact that, you know, we were... Um, you know, still here as well. You know, we're not here because of, you know, white people felt guilty and wanted to sort of save Aboriginal people. We're here because Aboriginal people were on the front line, you know, uh, and died or got beaten, you know, beaten up, you know, for uh, for for the younger generations uh, to be here today as well. So, you know, colonisation has, you know, really flipped this continent uh, on its head. Uh, this year, I'm sure the world would have been aware that, you know, the whole, literally the whole country of Australia was on fire due to, um, you know, ignoring sort of traditional backburning and sort of traditional ways of, of farming and managing land. And what we saw as a result of 250 years of not sort of respecting and, and, uh, and sort of learning traditional culture, you know, we got to the point where, you know, the, the whole country was on fire. You know, so, you know, the, the sort of the individual things that we face, you know, but then there's the collective things that we face as well as the policies, you know, the, 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 the racist sort of, um, the racism, you know, the stereotypes, stereotypical views of, of how Aboriginal people are supposed to be. Thank you. Uh, I would, th that's not a question which, uh, which we written down, but... Yep just popped in my mind I would be really interested um, to know how your path uh, towards like your history or was it always something present also in your like when you were raised as a child or how did you um, did you start to deal with your past or like how did you uh, start to deal with colonialization as a topic for yourself yeah definitely I think um That's a good question. I think, um, you know, as a result of colonization, if you're not part of the status quo, you know what I mean, um, you're a part of sort of a supposedly dysfunctional or sort of a one at disadvantage, but then also, you know, a discriminated population uh, in that community, you know. So whether or not I knew you know, the effects of colonization, you know, or how to articulate it, uh, the things that I was doing to sort of survive and thrive within uh, that environment, you know, really played played a strong part in sort of, you know, um, informing um, how I am today or how my family is. Looking back now, 
the, you know, my past or sort of my parents' past or, you know, the past 200, bloody 250 years, you know, has had a massive effect on sort of how we're sort of viewed in this society, but then also how we sort of deal uh, with this society as well. And I think that um, um, as Indigenous peoples, and I think uh, women and, and, and sort of you know, anybody who's sort of marginalised anywhere in the world, we have to do this thing where we live in two worlds, where one, we live sort of you know, in our world with our people who experience our own things, but then also once we sort of get out of that bubble, we have to sort of survive and then also thrive you know, in this other world, in this colonial world that one doesn't accept us for who we are. So what we have to do is sort of pick up on sort of these traits of sort of, you know, Western society or even colonization to try and survive uh, in this world. You know, and I think we would have to be fools not to say that in this sort of moment of survival, you know, we don't sort of pick up on these things. You know, I think we've got to sort of change our tactics in terms of just surviving when we've got to start living and thriving um, because once I think we get to that stage, then our whole perception um, will change with that as well. And not just as Indigenous people, but I think as, you know, the broader public as well, you know, because like everywhere, you know, the majority is sort of, you know, ruled an elite class that sort of are quick and easy to sort of brainwash the majority and stuff as well. So, um, yeah, like, that was a really good question. I think hopefully I answered that. Yeah, thank you. You totally did. <laughs> it's nice. Just because you also talked about your longer organization already and that you work in that mm. field, what actually was like a key point where you realized, okay, that's that's so much affecting me that I actually have to take um, action somehow. Definitely, of course, you know, and I think um, yeah, that, that, that's that sort of, I don't know if the word intersectionality, you know, we've got to look at sort of, you know, how sort of, you know, other sort of minorities are oppressed, but then also how sort of our struggles link up and, and how we're effective. But then also realizing that the goal to sort of save Indigenous peoples or Aboriginal people here in Australia or around the world isn't sort of, isn't sort of Marxism or, or communism or all sort of these other isms that are going to save people, you know, that are going to save indigenous peoples, you know, um, I think, you know, what's going to save us is, you know, I think my personal view is, you know, the greatest tool to dismantle and destroy colonialism is indigenous knowledge. And I think, you know, that's why sort of this world and sort of the elites are so quick in, and hard in sort of destroying cultural sites and cultural culture language you know connection you know we see this happening every day around the world and if these people get away with this at the end then what they get is sort of a soulless and sort of you know they they, they, they literally get a country or a continent for free you know when we stop defending you know what is ours as well so um knowing sort of the intersection with sort of you know other sort of minority groups but then also knowing you know like um how to stay above the water, how to survive, but then also how to thrive as well is, is essential and is very, very important as well. Thank you. Um, so we would come to the next question. Could you tell mm -hmm. us a bit more about cultural influences? So what cultural influences did colonialism have that still remain in Australia today? Um, massive cultural influences, you know, um, these institutions uh, you know that uh, that are around the world. You know, uh, education, 
medical, you know, police, military, you know, these sort of cultural institutions, you know, play monopoly and play power, you know, uh, over Aboriginal and Indigenous peoples around the world. We see um, at the moment, you know, there's a month or two ago, there was a, a global movement in regards to Black Lives Matter. You know, and, and we see how these institutions or, or these cultural institutions, you know, um, still see see it fit that they can sort of execute, you know, not just sort of um, black Americans in the States, but then also um, Aboriginal people here in Australia, you know, in the same fashion, just deny it, but sort of get away scot-free. These institutions are sort of controlled and run on the sort of mantra that Indigenous peoples here in Australia and around the world are primitive or, you know, one, are primitive people and they need to be, and we need to be wiped out or, and also we're dehumanised and devalued our existences and, and our experiences are. So we see this being played out, you know, in their cultural institutions every damn day. You know, what we saw a couple of months ago in Western Australia was, you know, uh, a Rio Tinto blow-up, you know, 34,000, 35,000-year-old um, sacred sites, you know, where there was cave, uh, I think, cave paintings, um, these sites, you know, and there was this massive outcry. And then what happened was, you know, the CEOs were fired or uh, eventually or sort of, you know, or fined a shitload of money. But then again, you know, I think like, you know, a couple of hundred kilometres in another direction, the same mining company is there, um, you know, getting ready to destroy our sites. You know, I've gone back to my own country at the moment to sort of have a look at sort of my country and how it's going and, and you know, what we've got going on at the moment. And what we see is, you know, multiple mining companies getting ready to sort of do the exact same thing, or if not, they have already have done the exact same thing. So what we see in the society and how influential sort of these cultural institutions are is that they play... Uh, this narrative where um, anything that they do to Indigenous people or Indigenous land uh, is acceptable because we're dehumanised, because we've been dehumanised that much and for that and for so long that it's normal and it's okay, you know, and the broader public, you know, sadly sort of goes along with these things because of these cultural institutions like, you know, media, mainstream media, like education, and also, like you know, um, you know the, the police force, which is the biggest arm of the state. You know that sort of control what happens in communities. So the next question, which you already mentioned, um, was how does colonialization is dealt as a topic in your educational system, and mm -hmm. how the colonial past of the country. Yeah, definitely. It's an awesome question. Um, you know, I guess one of the big things that it does is is that it makes us sort of question if, if the, the greatest thing that, you know, colonialism has done is it makes us question or second guess, you know, the injustices that happens to us. But what it does is it, is it makes us fight for justice. When, it, when, when an injustice has been sort of, you know, carried out on us or, or, or to our community, you know, that's what this education system's done. Um, when, when countries are colonised, brutally colonised, 
you know, um, you just have to look at the history books in terms of how they spoke about, you know, these people. You know, they call them the noble savages or they, they dehumanize them and, you know, they use profanity to sort of describe who these people are. You know, and in that moment, you know, when they first wrote the first articles or books about Indigenous peoples and colonising them and telling, you know, and writing about how primitive they are, that gave the justification, not just for invasion hundreds of years ago, but also for the continuing sort of oppression, whether that's killing or stealing land or stealing children, that happened today. That's a total justification. And the reason, and, and how we see that is, one through the education system. Um, I was very fortunate enough from year two to year seven that I went to an Aboriginal school. We, we done, you know, maths, English, science, physical edu- education, like all the sort of same subjects, but we had, you know, an influence on culture, you know, on community, uh, on our own history as well, you know, because we had Aboriginal teachers or non-Indigenous teachers sort of telling us this history. I went to high school. The high school I went to was very multicultural. You know, um, it was like an amnesty school where, you know, um, we had, you know, refugees um, and sort of other nationalities coming, uh, a a whole bunch of sort of different nationalities from around the world. Um, And not once do I remember sort of, you know, sitting in class and us learning about sort of history from an Aboriginal perspective. It was always from, you know, Cook discovered this, you know, Australia was founded in 1788, you know, like, like this sort of bullshit. You know, what that does sort of in high school as well is that sort of continues that narrative of sort of, you know, um, dehumanising, you know, the 60 to 80 to 100,000 plus years that Aboriginal uh, people have been, um, have been occupying this continent, have been cultivating it, have been creating sort of multiple into sort of, inter-tribal sort of relationships with with over 500 different nations, uh, with 500 different languages on this continent, you know, that, you know, in that instance, what it does is sort of, it, it dismisses that, and then it sort of gives place for non-Indigenous peoples to sort of say, well, this is who they are, they're a defeatist people, um, their history was very primitive, they were nomads, you know, um, and then, you know, what we see is when Aboriginal people have been oppressed and backed up into a corner and when we tend to react, you know, we see well, we see this narrative of them being violent or, 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 or because we've been poor or because we've been put in a position where our people have been dependent on government, you know, they, they, they call us sort of dull bludgers or sort of, you know, they call us you know, saying we're milk in the system and, and all these other things as well, you know. So that's what sort of the education system does. You know, I'm very fortunate at the moment that, um, I have a podcast called Frontier War Stories, which looks at the first 140 years of conflict and resistance here in Australia. And what that does is sort of looks at sort of, um, I speak to Aboriginal, non-Aboriginal people who have studied uh, history or, or, or are historians, are researchers, uh, are authors who, who have written about the resistance here in Australia that look at sort of, you know, from 1788 till about the 1930s uh, when the last sort of planned massacre and sort of war uh, uh, battle happened between Aboriginal people uh, and settlers here in Australia. You know, over the last sort of 15 to almost 20 years, there's been sort of this resurgence uh, by um, historians, uh, non-Indigenous historians wanting to tell 
uh, the history about sort of you know, Australia, the true history, that there was resistance, that there was sort of warriors, you know, who, who could be held up um, in high esteem, like sort of uh, Sitting Bull or, or, or like sort of these, you know, other sort of uh, uh, warriors around the world who, who were sort of looked at high esteem for defending the country. And here in Australia, you know, we have many of those, you know, around the continent who, who fought and, you know, whose descendants are still fighting today. Thank you for sharing. Um, so intersexuality already came up, but we would like to mm. go into the topic more now. Um, so where do you see the connection between anti-colonialism or decolonization and feminism? Um, that's a good question. Um, I'll try and answer that the best of my ability. Um, well, I guess, you know, um, one of the biggest things, and I guess the connection between, you know, feminism and sort of, or with, you know, anti-colonialism is that, um, at sort of the high pinnacle of sort of oppression, you know, we always sort of see, you know, how patriarchy has sort of oppressed people, you know, um, how sort of Western culture has done that. And, and there's always sort of been an intersection, uh, I believe, you know, personally, uh, uh, between sort of our struggles. And, you know, you just sort of got to look at, um, oh, yeah, it's funny, I guess you just got to sort of, sort of got to look at sort of, you know, the 1960s, sort of this really revolutionary period uh, in time around the world. And it's very rare that you sort of see, you know, um, a woman um, in sort of these high leadership sort of uh, roles and figures anywhere in different parts of the world and especially here in Australia as well. Um, you know, and I think, you know, uh, the, the need for that, uh, for that connection is realising that, you know, patriarchy, you know, is, you know, has always been a form of white supremacy, um, that has always, you know, been a been a tool to sort of, you know, destroy, um, you know, different communities, whether that's outright Indigenous communities or sort of, you know, um, Aboriginal women uh, in those communities as well. But yeah, I think uh, that's actually a really good question, man. Just um, you know, there's there's, you know, uh, there's there's an amazing story that I found out, you know, through my podcast. Uh, as well, um, and like the second and third episode of my podcast, I actually talk about a bit about it, um, and and you know it's about this uh, Aboriginal uh, woman named Walia, um, and she's from Tasmania, um, and she's sold as a as a sex slave to to sealers, um, to to fishermen who who hunt seals, um, and she's there, you know, for years on end. Um, and what she does is she's, she teaches herself English and, and, and how to load and how to fire like muskets and uh, firearms and guns. And what she does is she escapes and steals some guns. And what we see in Tasmania for around, uh, you know, for a couple of years is this resistance like uh, from this Aboriginal woman. Um, you know, she runs back to her people and she, she creates sort of like a, 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 um, a band of warriors and, you know, she goes and terrorizes communities and, and the military are down in Tasmania for years as well. Um, you know, it's funny because, you know, her story isn't as prevalent, 
you know, as sort of stories of other Aboriginal warriors who who, who are men uh, in this um, in this sort of uh, country as well. And I think you know that's what you know that's how sort of I guess you know patriarchy and sort of colonialism has sort of seeped into sort of the movements uh, here and and in different parts of the world. Is we see sort of the silencing of sort of you know. Aboriginal women or sort of other women who are part of, who are, you know, important sort of, you know, vehicles or, or sort of voices uh, in movements um, around the world as well. Um, yeah. Thank you. Um, for sure you could make a whole episode about that topic, so. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> I, 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 yeah, I want to, yeah, yeah. I'm trying to find some more um, of other Aboriginal women who are, who are involved um, in different resistances around the country as well, um, and who have played a sort of a pivotal part uh, in that sort of first 140 year period. But you know, what I mean, I know for a fact that um, you know, in the last like 50 to 60 years, Aboriginal women have you know been very, very vocal and very, you know, inspirational um, and very you know tireless, I guess you could say, in sort of this first uh, in the movement and in sort of the liberation of. Aboriginal people as well. Good to hear. <laughs> so our next question would be, um, uh, actually, um, COVID-19 crisis affects mm -hmm. country and given its history of colonialization, yeah, is affecting the people there. Yeah, the definitely. Sure, that's another good question. Um, You know, I'm very fortunate that in my sort of regular work, my, my paid work, my daytime work is in radio. Um, when COVID-19 hit, I was very fortunate that, you know, I could sort of speak to sort of frontline Aboriginal people who, one, were affected uh, by COVID-19, uh, you know, through their businesses or, you know, were sort of excelling within those spaces to, to prevent the spread or even just sort of um, protect Aboriginal communities, you know, so... Uh, some of the first places to be shut down in the country were Aboriginal communities who made this decision, uh, you know, the communities, leaders, the decisions themselves to say, hey, you know, if this, is, if this is actually a big threat and, you know, if what they're saying that, you know, um, it has the potential to sort of, you know, harm, kill, um, um, our communities and especially our elderly or our people with pre-existing conditions, what we need to do is come up with some solid plans uh, to sort of isolate our own communities uh, and to protect them, you know, from further uh, harm uh, uh, than that. And that's what multiple Aboriginal communities did before state and federal territories sort of governments sort of come to them. You know, they made these decisions themselves uh, by, uh, by doing that, um, you know, um, you know, this this disease or whatever you want to call it, you know, isn't sort of the first thing to sort of attack and sort of, you know, um, hold a grip or sort of change the reality of sort of Aboriginal people here in Australia, but then also Indigenous peoples around the world. Um, you know, we've, you know, here in Australia, we've, we've been dealing with a disease, you know, called colonisation, you know, from the British uh, and then later, you know, the Australian government, you know, we see how that's really played its part to sort of 
dis, uh, destroy and, and dismay, you know, Aboriginal communities and sort of Aboriginal societies. You know, so <clears throat> it's funny when, when Australia was under the pump, when Australia was really getting hit hard, you know, by this COVID-19, Aboriginal organisations, Aboriginal communities uh, really sort of shone within those times. You know, um, if there's anything that, you know, has really solidly come out of this is that it shows the resilience um, of Aboriginal people, you know, and that we can sort of survive through um, the worst that sort of this society throws at us, you know, and, and that's what we have done, you know. Um, it, it's amazing that, you know, at the height of, you know, COVID-19 globally, there was Black Lives Matter protest all over the world. In Australia alone, you know, war was part organisers of sort of the mass gathering here on June 6th, which what we saw was close to, you know, we had like 60,000 in Queensland. Uh, there was like, I think, 50 to 40, to 50 to 70, 80,000 in, in, in Sydney, and the numbers were saying 250,000 to 400,000 in Victoria. You know, and, and major cities and, and big country towns were, were, were having record numbers as well. You know, this was the height of the, at the height of sort of COVID-19. What we saw was we saw Aboriginal communities and individuals put their hand up and say, hey, we're sick of police brutality. What we're going to do is we're going to organise ourselves. We're going to organise our communities. We're going to organise our families. And we're going to hit the streets, not just in solidarity uh, for George Floyd and, and the African-American community and the United Snakes, but also Aboriginal communities. Because, you know, we have Aboriginal people here who have died at the hands of police officers or prison guards and echoed the words, I can't breathe. You know, so what we saw was, um, you know, hundreds of thousands of people hit the streets. But then also after that, one of the amazing things is that there wasn't any community transmissions at any of the, rally, at any of the, at any of the Black Lives Matter rallies uh, here in Australia uh, at that time. There was one guy in Melbourne who had COVID-19, but they got it previously before the rally. Um, so there was no community transmissions uh, at any of the Black Lives Matter rally. And what we saw as well is we saw Aboriginal people taking the risk and, and, and the responsibility saying, hey, you know, if I, you know, I'm going to go to this rally because I'm sick of this shit, shit happening and I'm sick of no justice happening. Um, you know, and I want to stand up with my community and my people for justice. And there were elderly people there. There were people with pre-existing health conditions there. You know, there was, you know, there was everybody was there. You know, and was, you know, um, that, 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 you know, every sort of demographic of of Aboriginal people and non-Aboriginal people were there, standing in solidarity. Thank you. And we would come to the next question. Mm -hmm. uh, so, in your activism and your work, um, what are the difficulties you have to face, and do you feel safe in the work you're doing? Um, yeah, um, sometimes I feel safe. You know, doing the activism I do. Um, you know, I've been pulled over many times by cops. You know, we've been strip searched on on the sidewalk. You know, um, our cars have been sort of trashed, you know, and then when the coppers jump in the cars, this was actually before the G20 protest in 2014, one of the coppers, you know, told, got us out of the car, told us to drop our pants, uh, went through the car, and as he got in the car, he goes, hey, Bo, you're not going to be violent for G20. Um, and then sort of, you know, friends have got in, you know, 
uh, the same thing, you know, sniffer dogs and, and coppers, you know, strip searching them. What we see is sort of the, the overuse of excessive force or intimidation tactics um, here uh, among sort of other activists uh, as well, or in sort of the heat of the moment when we're sort of facing off with cops, what we see is sort of, you know, the brutality. Uh, you know, we've had friends like with broken ribs. Uh, you know, my brother was uh, handcuffed and slung around and, you know, his wrists were sort of cut up by handcuffs, um, you know, or, even, you know, to the point where they've been beaten up uh, and stuff as well. Or as young kids, what they would do to Aboriginal people is uh, the coppers would pick them up uh, and they would take them to the opposite side of town where they live. They'll take their shoes and kick them out of the car and they have to walk home, you know, early hours of the morning. So they'd, they'd pick them up near their house and I'd drive to the other side of, of the city uh, and then drop them off, and then they have to walk back, you know, or find public transport or call their parents. You know, this was sort of a prevalent thing that happened, um, you know, uh, that happens here uh, in Australia. Um, you know, uh, in some ways, you know, I guess there is sort of, you know, you get intimidated um, by sort of uh, these things that do happen. But I guess, um, you know, sadly it sort of comes with the territory, so you get a sort of, take what it's sort of given to you, not necessarily take it as a choice, but, you know what I mean, you know, sort of walking with it, you know, because it's a reality, you know, when you're Aboriginal uh, in this country that, you know, these things do happen. All right, so our next um, and, yeah, last but not least question uh, would be, as we already heard now, colonialism isn't something which is only put in the past or only existing mm -hmm. the topic of the past. And our question would be, would you say that colonialism is still existing as a mechanism, um, like still work, still on, on working? And would you say that we have overcome colonialism? Yeah, cool. That's a, that's a good question. You know, um, you, you can't overcome uh, colonialism when you have an occupying force um, in your territory or in your country, you know, that exists uh, to destroy uh, cultural sites, you know, your identity um, um, and your home. You know, what we see here in Australia, you know, one of the fastest growing prison populations in this country is Aboriginal women, you know, in Australia, Children as young as 10 are still being incarcerated. And the majority of those young kids, you know, from 10 to 14 are Aboriginal. We see at the moment the highest numbers now um, of, of, of Aboriginal or Torres Strait children who have been stolen from their families is higher now than what it was at the height of the stolen generation back in the days. Um, what we're seeing uh, now is sort of, you know, the mass destroying of significant Aboriginal uh, sites. You know, what we see is the brutalisation of Aboriginal bodies through um, police uh, interactions or prison interactions, you know, where there's been over 450 Aboriginal people that have died in police custody since 1991 and not one police officer has been held criminally accountable for those deaths. Uh, what we see and continue to see as well is is our mainstream media 
churns that sort of uh, colonial narrative that um, Aboriginal people, you know, are, are second-class citizens or aren't humans, uh, you know, that dehumanising sort of manner or that uh, they, they justify, you know, the locking up of, of refugees who are fleeing war-torn countries in the most part where Australia is involved in sort of bombing uh, these countries, you know, and, and Australia takes the least amount of refugees in the world. You know, what we see also is the police force, the first police force ever uh, formed in Australia was by convicts who were on good behaviour and they would go and, you know, arrest the town folk, but then also go on hunting parties uh, to kill Aboriginal people or to sort of, you know, um, fight the the Aboriginal resistance that was defeating or sort of scaring, you know, the local white people, you know. And what we see today is sort of this the, the same narrative of sort of, you know, police still around today. So, no, you know, colonialism hasn't changed, hasn't stopped. It, it, it's continued. Like we talk, spoke about before, these institutions that sort of keep you know, racism and colonialism alive in this country are, are churning very, very well. You know, uh, these universities, you know, that were set up, the, the people in sort of these high positions, whether they're in the police force or in, in, whether they're politicians, whether they're, you know, uh, lawyers, judges, whatever, you know, they're, they're put through sort of this, these, this educational institution that brainwashes them and they're also, you know, witnessing and seeing and reading sort of, you know, what media are saying in the news, on TV or radio, or the reading of the newspapers. Yes, you know, colonialism is, is as alive in this, on this continent and any other continent uh, as it is today than, than when, you know, colonialism first came to any continent uh, in this world back in the day. You know, and the more we realise that, um, you know, the better, you know, we'll start to be organising uh, uh, in our own communities, but then also globally as a global sort of force against colonialism. Um, thank you. That was our last question. But this is a podcast for students, um, mainly. Mm -hmm. So we would like you to um, tell the students something. So what do you want to tell the students who are listening in like two sentences. Definitely. Um, education. Um, I think education is important, but I think it's more so important to read between the lines and understand uh, the true history um, of colonization in your own country or in sort of other countries like here in Australia. Um, Australia does a really good job at sort of hiding uh, its colonialism to the world. You know, they call it the lucky... The, the lucky country, and we say lucky for who? The white people? Definitely not lucky for black people. Um, but, yeah, you know, um, education is very important. You know, organise, organise and strategize. You know, there's many campaigns that you can get involved in, whether they're campaigns to deal with mining, you know, police brutality, you know, in your own communities, or look abroad and, you know, start an international sort of uh, student collective that supports you know, Mapuche um, people uh, that support, you know, the Mi'kmaq people, that support, you know, Aboriginal people in Australia, that support West Papua, that support Palestine. You know, there's these global um, institutions that are, you know, working hand in hand to sort of colonise uh, the different parts of the world. And I think it's so important that, you know, we use our collective 
our collectiveness to sort of organise in solidarity, not fall, because I think people do a great job organising themselves, but, you know, in solidarity with different communities. And the best way to do that is support them financially so they don't have to worry, worry about the stress or sort of finding money for the next meal or money for the next rally. You know, if people can organise and raise funds to pay, you know, um, for activists to sort of do their work, you know, without sort of the daily worry of, of, of paying rent or sort of putting food on the table, then the world would be a much better place. Organise and strategize, and information is inspiration. Thank you for your very ins um, inspiring words, for sure. That was a lot of good input for me personally also. <laughs> Thank you. Um, and, you know, it, and, and if people, you know, are looking to sort of support, you know, organizations here in Australia, you know, if you're on Facebook, look up Warriors of the Aboriginal Resistance on Facebook here in Australia. That's the organization that I'm a part of. Um, and then also, yeah, you know what I mean? Through that, you can sort of find other channels to support um, other different sort of activities, whether it's in Australia or whether it's in different parts of the world. To all the listeners, we will also put the link of both podcasts in the info box. Awesome. And as a last question for today, yes, to ask you, what kind of superpower can you think of, which would help you in your work, which you would um, give to students to resist and organize against colonialism? Um. I think everybody has heart, you know, so I think with heart they can have the strength. I think, um, you know, lots of people have that and have sort of personal strength, you know, so it wouldn't be strength. I think it would be uh, knowledge because knowledge is power and, you know, the more knowledge we have, you know, of ourselves, you know, um, I think can empower people to sort of, change their perceptions on how we see other people. But then also that knowledge we can use to question, you know, authority uh, when they continue to do bad things uh, to our people and our communities. So if, if there was a superpower, it'd be knowledge. Great. Thank you so much for your work and thank you so much for your time to share um, this interview with us. So that is all good. That's okay. Thanks for the call. You know, like I said, you know, I mean, um, follow, you know, that page or, you know, or myself on sort of, you know, uh, on Instagram or whatever or on Facebook uh, as well to sort of keep up to date with sort of what we're doing in terms of activism uh, as well. Yes, cool. Awesome. You know, in the future, you know, um, or, you know, maybe we could sort of link up again. Um, you know, a really good time to sort of, Uh, have this conversation would be uh, around the uh, January because the 26th of January is the day um, um, uh, which we sort of call Invasion Day. It's the day after Philip uh, came to Australia in 1788 uh, and sort of started the colony. Uh, so on that day, there's protest all over the country. Uh, that, that, that is organized by Aboriginal people. It's called Invasion Day. So if you Google that, you'll see heaps of stuff uh, in regards to sort of Invasion Day. Yeah, it would be really cool to do something with the decolonial group also sure. in Berlin. 
and to connect for that. Definitely any any other group, an organization you know, in Berlin or, you know, anywhere else, you know, that wants to sort of, you know, help organize or get the word out, we're more than welcome to sort of, you know, and we're open to sort of those discussions. Or I know in the past, like some of the groups in Berlin and different parts of Germany have done solidarity actions as well. Thanks for, for your time. No, and thanks for good. being part in the interview. No, that's all good enough. Thanks for having a chat uh, with me, giving the opportunity to sort of speak to yourselves, but then also the students as well. So when they say, why do you burn down the community? Why do you burn down your own neighborhood? It's not ours. We don't own anything. The social contract is broken. You broke the contract. When you killed us in the streets, we give a fuck. Fuck le racisme d'État, we nique la police nationale. Black Lives Matter, y'a longtemps qu'on sonne l'alarme, on a le point levé. Qu'on soit noir, blanc ou arabe. Pas de justice, pas de paix, donc c'est la guerre qu'on déclare. Violence raciste sociale ou violence patriarcale. Même combat contre le gouvernement, le capital, we can't breathe. C'est quoi que vous comprenez pas aux dirigeants du monde entier, rangez vos bla bla bla. Et ça fait bam 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 dans les manifs quand ils tirent. Ça fait oh 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 les lacrymos qu'on inspire. Et ça fait aïe 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 la souffrance de nos darons à l'usine. Contrôle d'identité aux jeunes de quartier qui veulent juste vivre après des siècles d'esclavage vous êtes bien enrichi grâce à l'esclavage moderne vous continuez vos profits vos moyens d'oppression sont vitales à votre système capitaliste ne croyez pas que vos violences se feront sans sacrifice s'il n'y a pas de frontières pour l'oppression alors il n'y a pas de frontières pour la révolution vous méritez la destitution pas les prises de décision la révolte spontanée suffira pas on s'organisera par millions rendez nous les vies que vous nous avez confisquées vous avez tout volé jusqu'à notre putain dignité vos policiers réprimés tuent en toute impunité allez les quartiers gilets jaunes les jeunesses du monde entier Faut que le racisme d'état unique la police nationale Black Lives Matter, y'a longtemps qu'on soit l'alarme, on a le point levé Qu'on soit noir, blanc ou arabe, pas de justice, pas de paix Donc c'est la guerre qu'on déclare, violence raciste sociale ou violence patriarcale Même combat contre le gouvernement, le capital, we can't breathe C'est quoi que vous comprenez pas, aux dirigeants du monde entier, rangez vos bla 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 Unsere Leute kommen zurück auf die Straßen Zu viele Jahre hat die meine Schwestern geschlagen Kämpfe für bessere Tage, ich glaub die Message ist klar Fick die Polizei und diesen rassistischen Staat Faschus warten Untergrund auf das nächste Attentat Kreuzstraße, NSU, AfD im Bundestag Polizisten machen in der Köln Jagd durch die Schabas Journalisten schreiben Märchen, reden von den Clans Rassisten in Uniform, Uri Jallo, das war Mord Und wenn wir uns wehren, schicken sie die Hunde vor Robocop zu Kokain, schlagen auf die Demo ein Keine Cops in unseren Reihen, jeder Bulle bleibt ein Schwein Sie sind nur die Jünger, der Gewalt vom Vaterstaat Kopf auf den Asphalt, für uns bleibt das fast der hart Werde niemand zeigen, kämpfe für die freie Dammanar Wir schlagen zurück, jella jella Migranti Fuck le racist d'Etat, we nique la police nationale Black lives matter, y'a longtemps qu'on soit l'alarme On a le point levé, qu'on soit noir, blanc ou arabe Pas de justice, pas de paix, donc c'est la guerre qu'on déclare Violence raciste sociale ou violence patriarcale Même combat contre le gouvernement, le capital, we can't breathe C'est quoi que vous comprenez pas aux dirigeants du monde entier Rangez vos bla 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 Abusive criminalization, racist deportations Profit accumulation and mass incarceration Your system doesn't function without sexism and racism Your violence won't be normalized if that's your expectation Nothing to lose will bring your wealth to the ground The anger and the pain is only turning into power All you fucking leaders can go and hide inside your towers We're organizing, getting stronger by the hour Cops only there to serve the rich and the wealthy Dates just another form of modern day slavery Try to push us down but the world is awakening Coming together to fight the mess you created Nothing chased through it back out on the streets Black lives matter, it's the time to succeed George Floyd dressed in politics to freedom Fuck le racisme d'État, we nique la police nationale. Black lives matter, y'a longtemps qu'on soit l'alarme, on a le point levé. Qu'on soit noir, blanc ou arabe, pas de justice, pas de paix, donc c'est la guerre qu'on déclare. Violence raciste sociale ou violence patriarcale, même combat contre le gouvernement, le capital, we can't breathe. 
C'est quoi que vous comprenez pas aux dirigeants du monde entier Rangez vos bla bla bla